Today we have Jason Lund, Leader Technology Infrastructure for JLL. Jason has 30 plus years of CRE experience. He's held many roles, but his current role is focused on technology integration for buildings. In this conversation, we talk about Internet of Things, we talk about cybersecurity, and even opportunities to monetize your rooftop. Let's get into it. So, Jason, can you just explain what your role um, entails? You bet. So, um, when most people think about technology, they think about uh, really cool apps on their phone or, um, you know, really neat programs that they could use. I mean, just all of the, all of the, basically the, the programs and the apps that we use every day to do what we do. Very few people think about how that technology actually gets onto your phone or how you actually get cell signal in the first place or how are you accessing the internet? And so in the contrast, there's kind of like, there's hard stuff that you can touch and feel that produces all that. And then there's the soft stuff that you can't touch and feel, but you use all the time, like a Google maps or something like that. Those are programs or apps. So what I focus in is really basically the hard stuff, the stuff that you can touch and feel. And within a building, you'd think about an electrical uh, plant, you know, the hard wires that provide electricity everywhere. You think about plumbing and the pipes that provide water everywhere. The same thing can be said of cell signal inside of a building. That has to be provided inside of a building more and more these days, especially now with all the environmental things that we're trying to do, we're getting a lot smarter on how, how we surface the outside of buildings to keep out heat uh, you know, from the sun, to keep out all these other things, but it also keeps out radio frequency waves, which is actually how we receive our cell signal. If you think about a phone, you think about it really as a very fancy walkie-talkie that runs on radio waves. So within a building, what we have to do now is think about ways to basically bring that cell phone signal inside of buildings, bring the internet inside of buildings, and we use wires and boxes and switches and things like that to do it. Nice. And is every building its own puzzle or are there certain ways to, um, like are, are, are there certain things that you just always have to do or you all, it's kind of a, a productized service in the way that you just come in, you get get the uh, the boosters in the right places or what, what all is, are the challenges that you face on a, a day-to-day basis? I really like that phrase, every building is its own puzzle. I'm gonna steal that and use that, <laughs> but um, in some ways, yes, it is. And then in other ways, no, it's not. So there's always a strategy. And again, this is very similar to plumbing. You have to bring the water in from the street. That's the same strategy every time. But once you bring that water in and into the building, then is it a 50-story building? Is it a lot of buildings in a, in a complex kind of arranged as a campus? Is it three stories in a long you know, configuration? Or is it You know, there's all these different shapes and sizes. And when you're thinking about water, you have to pressurize water to go 50 feet up or 50 stories up. You have to pressurize water to go lengthwise. You have to think about all these different nuances. Same thing with radio frequency. It has to be boosted in different ways. You have to be able to work with the interior building materials that some, some of which can block signal, others won't. So, each floor you'd have to design a little bit differently, but the, the overall solution 
is still the same. You're bringing it in from the street and then it's how to distribute it throughout the building. That's where the puzzle part comes in. So it's kind of a both. And it's the same thing with internet as well. As far as um, kind of a broader technology in the space, and I don't know if you're only specifically in the internet or do you, I'm sure you probably have more knowledge than the, the common man of just about what's going on with internet of things and kind of the capabilities. I'm curious from a higher perspective, uh, what are the trends that you're seeing? What What's possible with building automation and technology integration these days that haven't been in the last, say, decade? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so my background, I'm a 30-year real estate guy. Um, I've worked in real estate my whole career. And then in the last five or six years, I got very deeply into these these infrastructure pieces that we're talking about. So the Internet of Things is basically the the automation and the monitoring of all of kinds of of actual operational technology inside of buildings, things that can like door locks. You can turn, you know, you can lock a door and unlock a door from a distance using your phone rather than a key. Um, all of the different things that you hear about that you can look up on the Internet about Internet of Things, ways to do things. All of those things are possible. There's a few buildings in the world that are really fully built out with everything we can do with Internet of Things. Um, and then there's a lot more stuff that people are contemplating. But there aren't many buildings that are actually built out fully with a suite of services around Internet of Things. Usually it's a few things that we'll do. The interesting thing about that is much like our cell phones, when we're in a building, we need to get signal in order for those cell phones to work. Those sensors and those different mechanisms within the building that would be able to you know, open and shut doors, that would be able to run your elevators, that would be able to do all of these things, they need either a cable or radio frequency as well. Mm -hmm. So the foundational step for any Internet of Things strategy, which is at the endpoints, it's basically, I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to do that um, with these conference room locks, with these different things. The foundation of all of that is, do I have the connectivity for all of those devices and all those places throughout the building to actually power those devices? They need electricity, and they'll need to be able to communicate. And it, they either communicate on a cell phone signal type of a thing or on a Wi-Fi type thing type of a signal with the internet of things it seems like the imagination is really your only limit mm -hmm. what have you seen that is actually like controlling the elevator with your phone is kind of cool but the buttons work pretty good too yes like so what what have you seen that building um engineers and owners have implemented that have actually that has actually made a significant difference in how you know, life at the building operate. I think some of the some of the most functional things that I've seen so far have been around running the the building mechanical systems, particularly heating, ventilation, and air conditioning for large buildings or large campuses. Um, there are, and then uniting that with the actual occupancy of the building. So a lot of people don't think about this necessarily, but each one of us has, a, has a, a regular temperature of about 98.6 degrees on average, you know, et cetera. So we walk into a space, but none of us want to walk into a space that's at 98 degrees. We want to walk into a space that's about 70, 
degrees. The problem is that the more of us get into a space, the more we heat it up. Now, within a building, like an office building, say, if you put two or three of us in a conference room and we've got that temperature set to 70, it's not a problem. If you put 50 of us in a conference room, then it's a problem. So that HVAC needs to run at a much higher level in order to balance that flow. Now, a lot of us have been in, have been in um, large office building spaces where we've been freezing. Uh, and what that is, is it's an overpowering basically of that space with the HVAC. So a really good Internet of Things concept is this, this sense where you can track where all of the people are, you can see where they're gathering, and then you can determine that this space needs to be cooled more because there's 50 people in the space versus the space right next door that only has two people in it. Now, we haven't really been able to do that, you know, except in the last 10 years or so, where we've been able to track with that level of specificity. Um, and what that allows us to do, though, is make people feel more comfortable. And that's a good thing. So that's an experience issue. That's like a tenant experience or occupant experience issue. But it also allows us to be far more efficient. So if we have, say, a floor plate of uh, a floor plate tenant, say a big law firm, and we know that that law firm has uh, 100 employees on that, say, that ninth floor, the most precise we could get usually would be, okay, we've got 100 people there. They're on that floor, so they're going to need this much HVAC. We'll, we'll dial it up to this level. And I'm speaking very metaphorically here. Um, but what if they don't all show up that day? Or what if they have a big conference and they bring in all their leadership and people from the region and all of a sudden they've got 200 people on that floor plate? Again, just speaking round numbers. There's no adjustment there. Being able to adjust the level of cooling and the level of heating that we would provide to spaces based on exactly how many people are in those spaces and where they're located, that is a huge Internet of Things application. It saves a lot of money because you wouldn't be cooling areas that don't require cooling and heating areas, et cetera. It makes the tenant experience a lot better. And it also satisfies another major objective of a lot of property owners, which is around ESG, environmental, social, and governance. You know, we're all trying to use less electricity. We're trying to be wiser with our resources, good stewards, et cetera. So that I think is, is very impactful. And the more we go along with that, um, and keep moving and improving that, the better we'll be. And then also being able to have the building make those decisions for us. In other words, we don't want human beings down in the basement of the building looking at a bunch of monitors and saying, okay, I see 50 people here and then turning a bunch of switches. We want it all to be automatic. And so I've actually seen an Internet of Things application where you can watch the HVAC dial up as people come into the building, usually beginning about 8.39 a.m., and then it'll curve down during lunchtime because occupancy goes down. So you gear down and then it will curve back up again after lunch. And then through the afternoon, it will slowly trail off as people leave for various meetings, what have you. That is an extremely efficient use of your HVAC uh, system, which is a major source of electricity usage throughout a building. So that's, that's a really good Internet of Things use that I'm seeing get better and better. That's incredible. 
How does it sense? Do, do the people that come in have to download some sort of app or how, how does that monitor? There's a number of ways. That's a great question. There's a number of ways. Um, in New York, there's a lot of buildings that have turnstiles, believe it or not. And so they can actually, mm -hmm. as they come in, every time that turnstile clicks, you've recorded another occupant. They also can put in occupancy sensors by floor as people come off the elevators. There can be an occupancy sensor right there that will basically sense that more people have come off and onto that floor. And it will also sense the coming off and then down. And then it'll click out with an, again with a turnstile. Nice. If you don't have turnstiles, you can still use occupancy sensors and get a pretty good level of reading. Um, there are ways to get even better levels of reading using more sensors, but it actually raises interesting points of, of ethical considerations. Do you want to be able to track a person every single place that they go within a building? Do you want to be able to see how long their lunch break actually was? Do you want to be able to see how long they've actually been sitting at their desk versus this and that? Do you want to see what kind of phone calls they made? Do you want all of those things are possible? But are they good? Are they good and ethical uses of this coming technology? And those are question marks because we're trying to balance a number of things. Like COVID was a big issue with too many people gathering together. So we decided in some cases, yes, we want to know exactly where people are all the time because we have to be careful. But is that good long term? Do we want people to know that we're basically tracking every footstep that they make inside of a building for the entire time that they're there? And that, that gets to, you know, other considerations. And there's more of that with Internet of Things. I mean, with cameras, uh, there are a lot of cameras that can go live, that can get very detailed. You know, you can exact you can, facial recognition is something that people have backed off of quite a bit um, because cameras can actually map your face and they can say, OK, that's that's Jason Lund right there. And everywhere that Jason Lund goes, we know it gets a little bit, you have to make some decisions. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about just with this infrastructure and um, cell, but also the Wi-Fi and something I've been really curious about during the COVID and now kind of moving forward, it seems like hybrid is here to mm -hmm. stay. Is just how the, the security with servers and we think about, the the um you know an office building as a place where people you know culture is happening and people talk at the water cooler but more so than that it's it is a a safe secure spot for data and information mm -hmm. and are you how are how are companies um maintaining security while people are are working from home and all across the country and even world for that matter. Have you gotten into anything like, um, any yes. Of that? And it's actually a very big issue. Um, so there's, there's basically two large strata of, of companies or potential tenants or occupants. There are the companies that have at the, at the top level of leadership, the chief executive officer level of leadership, there's companies that have what they call chief information officers. And then underneath them is usually a chief information security officer. The acronym is CISO or CISO. Um, those officers, their sole, their sole purview is to manage the security of the information of that company. And so they will negotiate with landlords to bring in 
specific network equipment just for themselves. Nobody else can be on it. Only they can work on it. Only their approved contractors, et cetera. It's very tight and good. And then when you're on those networks, you can work at a Starbucks, you can work at all these other places, but you can sign in with what they call a VPN, a virtual private network. And that will then establish a secure pipeline to that company's network and to everything that they do. So they've, they've done very well. But that's really the Fortune top 250, maybe the Fortune 500, but that it gets a little blurry. But most companies in the United States don't have that. Most do not, don't have a separate officer just to manage the security of information. So within most of our buildings across the U.S., we'll have tenants where there's a president slash CEO and then an administrative staff and people that do sales or what have you, but they'll just sign up with the local cable provider, providers. They'll sign up with the Cox or a Charter Spectrum or a, you know, whoever it is, Verizon, come in, the, Verizon gives them a package and that's that's what they get. And so for them, they're basically unsecured in a lot of ways. Now, what building owners can provide, and this is something I talk to building owners all the time about, is they can provide an actual, a very secure source of internet and cellular connection themselves. And they can bring that to the tenants immediately on. So whenever that tenant moves in, they can have a single sign-on ID um, and they can have a password for all of their employees issued. And they, they can have, the building can actually provide them a fully cyber secure network with cellular and uh, all kinds of bells and whistles and programs and load it up with VPNs available. And that comes through the hardware of the building that those tenant spaces can be wired out for the tenants before they even get there. And this isn't a new concept. If you think back to WeWorks, uh, WeWork, um, now they had their financial difficulties based on their model but the idea was is that you, you show up, you put down your credit card, and you've got five employees. You've got a space that's built out, and those five employees were immediately on a network, and you guys could operate as a little mini business. That model has a lot of legs to it, a lot, especially with COVID now. A lot of tenants uh, that are in the small and not Fortune 250 companies, a lot of this, the tenants are looking at ways going, okay, I want office space. I've got maybe you know 20 employees, but on any given day, maybe 10 will be in because we're hybriding. I don't have a lot of time. Uh, I don't want to sign a 10-year deal or a five-year deal. I don't want that much risk. I'd rather sign a two or three-year deal. I don't want a big TI allowance, tenant improvement allowance. I just want the space built out for me already and let my tenants come and go. And then the difficulty with that is they do have to call Charter. They have to call AT&T or Verizon or Sprint to get their phones. And then those companies want to sign them to long-term agreements. And then they'll have to wait two, three, four months sometimes to get them out to install. So these, these smaller business owners are saying, look, I just want to be able to bring my tenants in and do this. And so that WeWork type model uh, with a lot of modifications is starting to come out now as well. So JLL has a model, it's called Flex, where we would work with property owners to provide built-out floor plates for tenants in this smaller category that want to come in and everything's provided. All of the network, all of the phone, et cetera. Um, and we're talking to building owners about just saying, look, why don't we just do the whole building? We can do that and it would make it easy for you. Is there anything else as far as 
things that the common business or the common um, building owner you see doesn't have in place that really should yeah. be in place? Uh, a couple things. One is a strategy around rooftop revenue um, and other portions of revenue that are uh, that are available within their buildings. And then the other one is cybersecurity for the operating technology. So I'll just briefly summarize though. I know we're coming up on time, but um, your rooftop on your building may be a potential rentable area space. There are more and more potential tenants for your rooftop. And there are strategies to go about um, basically hiring a, a leasing broker for your rooftop. Um, and I help owners to do that. But there's monetization opportunities up there. There's not just the big three carriers, uh, Verizon, T-Mobile, and AT&T, but there are a lot more rooftop tenants that are out there um, that are potentially gettable where you can provide revenue from your rooftop and also from the sides of your building closer down to the to the sidewalks you know 30 40 50 feet up right in that range um, if you've got those availabilities so that's something they need to think through um, the other thing that that it would be really good for them to think through is with the advent of internet of things and all of these really neat use cases and you think about you know being on your phone and being able to you know, turn lights on and off, open doors, you know, uh, turn on the HVAC, turn down the HVAC, all these cool things that you can do on your phone. If you can do them on your phone, a bad actor can hack that system and they can do them on their phone. Or they could freeze that system and hold it hostage. And they can cause damage to your buildings. They could, if you're, say your sprinklers are automated and fully controllable from remote access. We have examples of bad actors taking control of sprinklers and saying, we want so much money in Bitcoin or we're gonna run the sprinklers for the next 10 hours in your building. And that's flooding, warping, it's it's people's computers and equipment being damaged, all this stuff. Uh, the other thing that's happening about around cyber, particularly around operating technology, is that insurance companies are pulling back from insuring for cyber damage events. There's less and less insurance available, it's harder and harder to get, and there's less and less uh, less and less payout that they will agree to give to cover these types of losses. So there's a lot of thinking that needs to be involved before you just invite providers in to make things smart, if you will. Because if they're smart, mm -hmm. they're hackable. Yeah. Wow. Well, Jason, this has been incredible. Uh, I wish we had more time, but it is what it is. Um, as we wrap up here, I kind I do like to ask. Uh, one personal question at the end and so for someone like you that has all this experience in um, just in the business world and life in general, like what's, what's something that you would say to somebody coming into um, the real estate space, maybe the technology space, something that you've learned along the way that um, would be helpful for um, maybe a younger version of yourself or, or just someone. Sure. No, I would encourage them to, to, you know, you can get mentors, you can get people that will help you understand all of this. I mean, I started looking at this stuff five or six years ago, basically a 30 year real estate person. I'd grown up in my silo, knew all of my stuff, didn't understand this stuff. But as I got deeper and deeper into it, I realized that this is understandable. It's doable. Um, I wouldn't suggest anybody to start doing it themselves from scratch, get help, get somebody like me or somebody else. 
um, to help guide you through it. But it is it is possible to gain a much deeper understanding in these types of things and to be proficient in them. You don't have to master it, but to be proficient. And it, it, it's doable. So I would encourage anybody to try that. Nice. And for people that are listening that want um, maybe help with their own buildings, can they reach out to you directly? And, or do you only work with JLL Properties? Or how... How should somebody sure. get in contact with you? Uh, um, email is the easiest. Um, Jason.lund at am.jll.com. AM is short for Americas. Uh, that's the easiest. Just shoot me a note. I work with any other, any clients, and I work across portfolios. It doesn't have to be a JLL portfolio or a JLL managed portfolio, though oftentimes they are, but it doesn't have to be. Um, and the way that I work, it's very simple. I work basically as an hourly consultant on behalf of clients. Um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a full-time JLO employee, but they bill me out to clients on an hourly basis. So we'll, we would talk about different projects, things you're trying to do. Could scope out just about how many hours we think that would be. And then usually it's over two, three, four months that I would work on that project for you. So we would spread that out over that amount of time just because it takes that time. But what I offer basically is I'll walk a client through uh, defining the project. Here are the providers that you could use. I'll bring those providers to the table, have them bid on that project, and then I'll explain those bids. You can select a final, provi uh, final provider, and then I'll walk through using your legal department. I'll walk through contracting with that client, make sure that the contract is beneficial to you and to the providers and all the way up to signature. So basically I'll walk you through the whole thing and I'll basically be looking out for all of your rights and the things that you need to preserve as a real estate owner, um, but also being able to make sure that this provider can actually provide what they say they will. Nice. Well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, uh, you bet. I appreciate it. Thank time. you so much. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember... People drive growth.